Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church, advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. still Greg Richardson. <laughs> I am reading the New International Version of Romans 8 through 16. I have done a bit of editing because uh, often the meaning is not clear. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I want you to be aware, brothers, that I have planned many times to come to you in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. But I have been prevented from doing so until now. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God 
for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. The Word of God.
Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning, Epworth. And happy Pride, yay. Um, first of all, I want to welcome back uh, our youth and young people who came back from Sierra, a week at Sierra Service Project. Um, I'm so grateful for the young people and the three brave volunteer, adult volunteers and the parents and the families who supported and prayed for them and anxiously awaited for their return. Uh, I can't wait to, you should all, how many of you are here who went to SSP? A few up there and down here. During coffee hour, ask them about their time and um, we look forward to hearing about your adventures and your experience there. And so grateful for all of you. So my name is Caroline. Um, I want to start with a disclaimer that um, I have zero credentials or any kind of uh, expertise that gives me any uh, right to stand up here and deliver a message. I'm not, uh, I have no theological background. Uh, I'm not a public speaker or teacher. Um, I just have a story uh, from mostly from my own personal experiences that's been kind of churning in my heart and my mind and I just happened to be at the worship visioning meeting when they were saying, oh, we have these two uh, services where we're in between pastors and we need somebody to preach. And something, I, I guess it was the Holy Spirit, made me sheepishly raise my hand and say, I, I'd like to give it a stab. So here I am. So I ask for your um, mercy. <laughs> and uh, understanding if I stumble, if I, my voice gets shaky, or so that is my disclaimer. Um, so several months ago, I received a message from Pastor Kristen regarding a new way of structuring the various ministries at Epworth, and also that the church council had identified intentional growth as one of the ministry priorities when she asked me if I would be the steward for the Ministry of Witness and Outreach, I surprised myself by answering yes, without any hesitation. Sure, my family will tell you that I have a knack for raising my hand a little too quickly, but this was surprising even to myself, given my very complex relationship with the concept of Christian witness or evangelism. You see, I'm a recovering evangelical. And now, don't get me wrong, my intention is not to denigrate faithful and well-meaning Christians who identify as evangelicals. And I'm not even talking about your average evangelical church. You see, in my teens and early 20s, I was part of what you call a parachurch movement that saw themselves as a training ground for evangelists and disciple makers. As a young person of faith, I was drawn to the passion and the single-mindedness of these people who devoted themselves to a cause and created a community for what they believed in. As a part of our practices, we had regular Bible studies, morning prayer time, time of singing, worshiping, and eating together. And then there was the evangelism training. 
So once we had adequate training with delivering the gospel message in under five minutes, and a few memorized verses to counter whatever questions people might throw at us, we were paired with a more seasoned member of the group to first observe witnessing, then to try it ourselves. See, until then, I was willing to overlook some of the more extreme aspects of the group, but this was a hard one for me. See, I was never good at asserting my own viewpoint, and my introverted self was terrified by the thought of going up to a stranger on a college campus who were minding their own business to deliver a message that in all likelihood will not be received at well at all. I really did not want to be viewed as those creepy people who talk to strangers with the opening line, do you know where you will spend your eternity? <laughs> but here I was, a lowly cadet in God's army fulfilling the great commission to go make disciples of all nations. I felt I had no choice but to participate. But as I participated in this exercise of offering a ticket to salvation, I became even less convinced. It wasn't clear at all to me that saying the sinner's prayer will automatically guarantee you eternal life in heaven. And I couldn't say with conviction that my flavor of faith is the only way to know God, and that people of all other faiths and those who had died without having known Jesus will spend eternity in hell. I really, really could not accept my Bible study leader's assertion that my beloved high school teacher who had died of AIDS just a few years earlier could never enter the kingdom of God because he died as a gay man. Eventually, the rift between what I was taught as the gospel and what my heart told me about who God and Jesus is became so deep that not only was it inevitable for me to leave this group, but I went into a deep depression and a crisis of faith. It took several years, perhaps even decades, but eventually I was able to come to terms with living in a world where not all the questions are answered, where God's mysteries are still mysterious, and I just had to put one step in front of the next without much certainty. So this is why it was so surprising to me, for me, that I, of all people, first of all, was asked to lead the ministry of witness, and I was so quick to answer with an affirmative. What had happened in the last 30 or so years of my life that made me want to embrace the role of an evangelist again? Why in the world would I, or any of us, want to share the gospel when there is so much baggage and damage done in the name of God, and the world is very weary and suspicious of the good news. So I was 21 when I was losing my faith with a physical ailment that seemed incurable at the time, and my first encounter with depression that was frightening in its intensity. In late fall of that same year, I received a phone call out of the blue from a friend from high school. And she offered to buy me a plane ticket for me to visit her in Oberlin, Ohio, where she was attending school. I took up on her offer, and something about being with a dear old friend in the frigid cold of January in Ohio 
made me be able to take that first step toward rediscovering grace and life. It took a dear friend's lavish and generous sign of care that set in motion my reawakening to the gospel. The gospel, according to Wikipedia, where we non-experts get our expertise information. <laughs> so the gospel is an old English word derived from the Greek word evangelion, which translates as good news. What is the good news? It seems that we've had plenty of experience with not such good news in the last few years. The, the news cycle is bombarded with bad news, one after the other, so we're very familiar with bad news. But what is the good news? Specifically, what is the good news of Jesus? Again, I claim no expertise or scholarship on the Bible, the teachings of Jesus, or any such thing that a real preacher would have some authority on. But from my lay person's reading and observation, it seems that the Gospels of the New Testament mainly recount Jesus' lavish an indiscriminate show of love and care. Jesus wasn't going to withhold his loving, healing, feeding, preaching for anything. He healed on Sabbath when he wasn't supposed to. He hung out with questionable characters and folks that respectable Jewish man should not be seen with, much to the chagrin of everyone around him, including his own disciples. He fed thousands when everyone was convinced there wasn't enough to go around. And he stopped to show mercy and care when it wasn't convenient. It seems to me that the good news as exemplified by Jesus is that God's love, care, and grace is lavish and does not discriminate. And while he gives his love to all, he especially seeks out the weak, the downtrodden, the marginalized, and the othered. So, my dear Epworthian siblings, this is the good news, that God is with us, and God shows up in our darkest, weakest moments. Sometimes God shows up as a friend, offering hospitality to a down-and-out friend. God shows up as a neighbor, getting groceries for someone who can't leave the house, God shows up in the accepting embrace of a grandparent of a transgendered grandson, despite what their church says. God shows up on a quiet morning when the sounds of the birds announces that there is light and boundless beauty in the days ahead. God shows up in the laughter of children, in the tears of sorrows shared, in walking for justice for those in the margins, in caring for the undocumented, the unhoused, the addicted. God shows up when we love our neighbors as ourselves. So in today's scripture, I'm going to reread the one verse, Romans 1.16, that I was asked to memorize in that group a long time ago. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone to who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we were asked to memorize many verses 
uh, back then as a young person. Um, but I never actually read the rest of the context of what happened before this verse. Re go going back and looking at it and hearing Greg's reading, it seems that um, Paul is addressing the church in Romans who had, he had never visited before. Um, of course, Romans was the center of the empire, very big, diverse city. And um, it's, he writes to a church that is probably struggling to find what church is in this crazy, chaotic, diverse center of empire. So in this opening of his letter to the church in Rome, Paul emphatically states these words of inclusion. I assume that the early churches were coming to grips with the message that, Jesus, uh, that Jews don't have the monopoly of being God's chosen ones. And that much to their surprise, God loves the Gentiles too. Can you imagine being told that you are the favorite child throughout history? Then someone comes along and says, actually, everyone's a favorite child. In a large and diverse city like Rome, I believe Paul wanted to make sure that the church was opening their doors for the salvation of all, not just the Jews in Rome. So even as I speak these words and we hear this message, our fellow Epworthians are on the streets of San Francisco proclaiming this good news. I heard it's a really big bus. I heard they're going to deck it out with signs and messages that might make some turn their heads, maybe some even in our own denomination kind of uh, cringe a little bit. But boldly, they are telling that the world that yes, God's doors are indeed open to all. No matter what, the world, the church, your family, or even our own self says, God whispers loudly that we are God's beloved, made in the glory and the image of God. So what made me answer the call to evangelism after all these years? At Epworth, I witnessed God's people faithfully living out the good news. In my 16 plus years in this congregation, I've witnessed true forgiveness, lavish generosity, care for the young, the old, the sick in body and mind, and putting aside egos for building of this beloved community. No, we're not perfect, and sometimes we stumble. But I know without a doubt that in this place, we strive to be faithful followers of Jesus. It is you and the Christ who works in you that makes me want to say yes, I want to share this. I want more people to experience this. In a world where we are bombarded with news of violence, hatred, apathy, where homes, churches, and communities are torn apart because our love is not wide enough, I want to offer the good news that we can be hands and feet of God caring for one another, working toward justice, and learning to emulate God's wide and deep love for all creation. So on this Pride Sunday, let us not be ashamed of the gospel that claims us, all of us, as God's own.
Let us be loud and proud and boldly show up to the world, not with a five-minute ready-made speech, but with lavish and undiscriminating care and love. Thanks be to God. been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. 
Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online Connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. What manner of man is this? All nations in him are blessed. All things are done by his will. He spoke to the sea and the sea stood still. Now ain't that a witness for my Lord? Ain't that a witness for my Lord? Ain't that a witness for my Lord? So be a witness for my Lord. It was a man of the Pharisees. His name was Nicodemus, and he didn't believe. The Savior came to Christ by night, wanted to be taught on a human sight. Nicodemus was a man desired to know how a man could be born when he is old. Christ told Nicodemus as a friend, Man, you must be born again. Said, Marvel not man if you want to be wise. Repent, believe, and be baptized. Then you'll be a witness for my Lord. You'll be a witness for my Lord. You'll be a witness for my Lord. So be a witness for my Lord. Read about Samson from his birth. Strongest man that ever lived on earth. Way back yonder in the ancient times, he killed 10,000 of the Philistine. Then old Samson went wandering about. Samson's strength was never found out until his wife sat upon his knee. She said, tell me where your strength lies, if you please. Now Samson's wife, she talked so fair, Samson said, cut off my hair, shave my head, just as clean as your hand, and my strength will come like a natural man. Now Samson was a witness for my Lord. Samson was a witness for my Lord. Samson was a witness for my Lord. So be a witness for my Lord. There's another witness. Oh, there's another witness. Oh, there's another witness. My soul be a witness for my Lord. My soul.